What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I'm sitting with Wade Brooks. He is the CEO at Live Bar. And we get into all the things that you really need to cover when it comes to starting a CPG company, some of those challenges, what they've went through, how they're positioned in the market, how they look at buyer personas, and more. So sit back. I think you're going to enjoy this one, especially if you're looking at starting your own product. But before we get into that, as always, look, guys, we put on this show here at Cave Social. That's our company. We're a advertising marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that helps companies grow on social media. So if you're feeling stuck, you need some help creating content, running ads, head over to cavesocial.com, hit contact us. We'd love to help you out. All right. Now let's sit back and get into this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today, joining me is the CEO of Live Bar, Wade Brooks. Wade, how you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, popping on. You bring a lot of experience to the show, and I want to jump into that first before we talk about Live Bar. Give me that quick snapshot of your background from going, getting into business, running business, then actually becoming a professor and then getting back into the world here, into the business world with LiveBar. Yeah, it's been a wild ride, so I'll see if I can try to encapsulate this. I started my first company when I was in college, undergraduate. It was, according to Apple, the first Apple value-added reseller in the United States. I then, basically from that point forward, have pretty much run companies, mostly in technology. And then over time, I sold a couple of those companies. I took a break, traveled around the world for a little bit, studied uh, Zen Buddhism, and then... Uh, I was recruited by my alma mater to do some teaching. So I taught at the MBA program at Willamette University. I taught entrepreneurship, venture investing, and angel investing. Published some, the largest study of angel investor returns in the world. And let's see, from there, I guess to get to here, I went to New Zealand and taught early stage investing for a little bit, for like six months. And when I got back, a number of my VC buddies wanted me to go start something. So kind of a search fund. We have this money for you to go start something. I looked around at a bunch of different opportunities. CPG, Consumer Packaged Goods, Live Bar, I was an advisor for them. And then as I went around and had people try the product and test it, I said, hey, I think this is the best deal that's out there. It's an amazing product. Uh, it doesn't taste like any other bar. And so that's how we kind of got that thing started, brought in some money. I was a very small company at that point in time, really one or two people in 2018. Uh, it was originally started in 2012. And so now we're at 20 plus people. We're in selling every state in the nation in Hong Kong. Uh, we're in all the distribution centers, UNFI and Kehi. So, uh, but it's been a crazy learning experience. I mean, the 10 years of teaching and investing. So I started the world's first angel investment fund inside of a university. And we invested in, oh gosh, 80 deals or something, looked at thousands of deals. And so looking at a new business from the perspective of kind of a, a superstructure macro look at all kinds of businesses, uh, gives you a different view, a different perspective on how CPG is different from other companies or other businesses. It's definitely far, far removed from technology. And then just, you know, learning all the ropes, hiring the people and growing it. I hired two of my former MBA students who were in Fortune 500 companies to come back and be my generals. And so that's kind of where we're at at this point. I love it. And I, I love how you made that distinction, right? That it's so much different than technology. It's seemingly like that they're both hard to do, but CPG seems a little bit more defensible long-term if you can get it established, at least from the entrepreneurs I've spoken to on the show. But it seems like a, a lot of upfront work to kind of 
get that shelf space, get on, you know, make sure that you're in a place. Like I know you are in Sprouts, for instance, Yeah. like walk me through that experience of like, okay, like getting the shelf space, but then also holding the shelf space sure. and how important that is. So, you know, technology is intellectually hard. I don't think that CPG is intellectually hard, but the business itself is very difficult. The network, the distribution channels, uh, it's a little bit of an old boys network. That's still an acceptable term. And so the biggest thing that you run into is, at least that I ran into figuring this out, you have this catch-22 between distribution and retailers. So when you go to a distributor like UNFIRK and you say, hey, we, we need to be in distribution and, you're, and have our products on the shelf or in, in your warehouses, they'll say, well, you have to have a big retailer so that there's pull-through. And we're like, yeah, but when we go talk to the retailers, they're saying that we have to be in distribution first. And none of the retailers want to be your anchor tenant and be the first in to be responsible for getting you into a distribution center. And so we spent an entire year basically building out the distribution network and getting into at UNFI, KEHI, DPI, all of their DCs, and then working with all the retailers to get in a couple thousand different doors by saying, you know, like, look, we're in all these DCs. We'd like you to pick up the product and go through that whole process. We spent most of COVID doing that part of it, which is getting into the stores. So distribution first, then the stores, and now we're at staying in the stores. So that's a velocity component. Velocity is hard, especially during COVID. So with COVID and Trump over the last year, you know, there's only, it's kind of a zero sum game. There's only so much air in the room. And if it's all taken up, your advertising and marketing doesn't go very far. And so those perpetual taking up all of the Twitter space and all of those things, we decided, and I think a lot of people decided not to do much marketing and advertising over that time frame. Also in the bar category, anyway, it's been really bad because it's a convenience food that you eat to and from something. So you're going to work out, you're going to work, you're going to, you know, go hiking and camping. And a lot of that stuff wasn't happening. People were staying at home and cooking. So the so that market was down about 50%. So for us, you know, that's not great, but at least we weren't a business that was already selling a whole bunch of stuff and then had the market go away. We're an emerging business, an emerging brand. Uh, but through COVID, you know, emerging brands are the ones that got hit the most because our primary way to sell bars is if someone tries a bar, they buy a bar almost all the time. And so we would do demos in grocery stores. That was our primary focus. And then that all went away. So for the last 12 months, nobody's been doing demos. I just heard there was an article came out yesterday that Costco is going to open that back up. We're in discussions with them right now, but we definitely want to get back into the stores. That's our primary focus and function. But now we're turning the corner. I can see it coming back. Hopefully we have a roaring 20s effect. And, you know, we're doing all kinds of marketing and advertising. I just hired four advertising folks for social and events and all that kind of stuff in the last week. So we're getting ready for the ramp and can see that market coming back. Talk to me a little bit about how you see e-com playing in with regards to like repeat purchase and customer loyalty. I'm interested to see if you think that it's e-com and, you know, online advertising as maybe a first touch point and then they see the product in on the shelves and then they try it. Or if it's the other way where, hey, we're going to demo it, you're going to try it, buy it at the store, fall in love with it, and then, you know, start to order online, come back to store, like map that customer journey for me. Yeah, that's interesting. You don't really build these businesses on e-com. That's not really how it works. I mean, you really have to be build it through the retail channel. That's how you get big. That's how you become successful. It certainly, it's now becoming, especially now that everybody's kind of been forced into doing e-com, a lot of people who wouldn't normally do it. But our direct sales on our website and our Amazon sales, and you can go to both those places and buy our bars. Those are good, but it's not, it's not really what the consumer, maybe the consumer behavior has changed. But I think that when things, when the COVID kind of 
everybody's vaccinated and things start easing up, I think people are going to be out shopping again. Um, Amazon's kind of doing some really interesting things in this front with Whole Foods um, and Amazon's opened some of their own stores. And so there's this kind of mix that you may end up in. But what I haven't seen is like we sell our product on like Walmart.com and Amazon.com and another fair and a whole bunch of these other e-com sites. You just don't see much uplift when we do that. You would think that you would get it, but it's really, you're still in a brand discovery phase. Now, what we have done, because if you think about if we can't demo and we need people to try bars, how do you get them to them? And we thought about, well, we just mail them to people. The problem is to mail a bar costs more than a bar costs. It's a couple bucks to mail something out. And then you have to have the, <laughs> the list. And so we have partnered up with some a bunch of subscription boxes and have uh, sent out 75,000 bars uh, in subscription boxes. So that's a way where someone can try it and events. And, you know, we do all kinds of other crazy stuff as best we can. You know, we'll put uh, college students to trailheads for hiking and hand out bars. We partnered with The Dirt, which is the number one hiking and camping app. And so you can get a discount on their services if you buy a bar. Uh, they have little stickers on the front. Any way we can possibly get a bar into somebody's hand. And then it really is different bar. We do manufacture our own bar, which 99% of the places don't do. And so when someone tries it, I mean, you can tell them all that. But when they try it, they go, oh, my God, it really is different. So it doesn't, it's not like a cliff bar, which is a gooey bar. And it's not like a kind bar, which is a hard bar, which are, and those are really kind of disguised candy bars. It really is a, you know, an all organic, nut-free, gluten-free, soy-free, corn-free, dairy-free, you know, designed by a nutritionist kind of a bar. It's crunchy and chewy and it tastes amazing. The food scientists I've talked to said, I don't know how you can get all this stuff in here and have it taste good, but we did it. So it's exciting. I love it. Now you mentioned something there about you know, going to the base of a trailhead and handing out bars. And I know <laughs> a lot of companies start by kind of latching onto a subculture, whether that's mountain biking, CrossFit, you know, hiking. Has that been a pretty pointed strategy for you all to say, okay, we're going to go out to like to, to hiking, for instance, and try to get involved in this community and really lay the foundation there and then use that as a tool to expand? So there's a really interesting marketing component here because the question is, are those our customers or are the people who are aspirational to that our customers, mm -hmm. right? So not the people who are actually, you know, mountain climbing and all of that stuff, but the people who, who like outdoor stuff, they may not be going out and doing it all of the time. They're not out hiking once a month, but they do go hiking every now and then. With our product, because it tastes good, it actually can fall into the snack category as opposed to just being like an energy bar that you, that's just a sheerly functional bar. We, we are focused on people who are active lifestyle folks. So it's snowboarding. So our product doesn't melt or freeze. So you can take it camping. If you're on the mountain, it's not going to break your teeth off when you bite into it. But people who, who are concerned about their health that are going to read the ingredients. And our ingredients are all 100% real food. There's no additives, preservatives, no weird stuff on there. When you read it, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. You know, it's all that kind of stuff. So we get that um tends a little bit i think we don't have great numbers on this but i think it's you know it's 60 percent women because it's a it's a, just a more healthy and it's it's something where and and they do most of the buying family wise as well so but it's not it's also not a protein bar it's an energy bar so you know a lot on the protein side like some of the other bars you, know, you get 30 grams of protein in some of those things they don't taste any good they're not horrible but um that's not the demographic we're going after it, it's also kind of interesting like rx bar built their business around the CrossFitters, but they don't have that much protein in there. I mean, we have seven or eight grams and they have maybe 10 or 12 or something. Right. So it's not like it was, you know, like a Quest bar has got like 30. So anyway. Yeah. It's interesting when you look at that, right. And to your point, it's like that, they just pick that community or cliff bar with cycling and like, and then 
you look at, okay, the active folks and then how it's the aspirational component. It makes me think of this. There's this book, which I'll link in the show notes page called Small Data, which talks about how you use champions in the space. And then it actually makes the aspirational folks end up increasing their purchase rate. I find that stuff fascinating. There is a something too, and I'm not sure if it's aspirational for people or not, but you know, we have one of the industry's only home compostable wrappers. Wrappers are the fourth largest pollutant. It is a unique, innovative thing. They're hard to deal with, um, which is why maybe some people don't use them. You have to seal them right. And then we have, we're in a solar-powered facility. So there's this sustainability aspect that I think is important to people now. The question is, are they willing to pay for that? You know, there's this made in America thing that everybody says, made in America, made in America, and I'm willing to pay more for made in America. But then when it's a penny or two more, they don't buy it. That's Walmart's filled full of products like that, um, that are not made in America. But, you know, um, I, you get sold that by people, but then they really, that's not their purchasing habit. So you have to be careful about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Folks are very virtuous when it comes to things like that. And then one airline drops a ticket by 20 bucks and that's where they go. The brand loyalty's out the window and the product loyalty's out the window. I'm interested to kind of circle back though, because it sounds like really not that these personas don't overlap, but having really the two big personas of healthy food. I'm, I'm worried about what goes in my body. The person who flips around, they don't even care about the front label. They start reading the caloric intake and the everything and the ingredients first. And then the other side, which is that sustainable consumer who is worried about pollution. Has it been kind of a unified message and then just you know that those people are going to gravitate towards that? Or have you leaned into one or the other persona more? Yeah. So if you drew a Venn diagram of those two people, I would suspect they're totally overlapping just one big circle, not or at least 90%, something like that. What we found a lot um, with the sustainable packaging component is that a lot of the retailers are saying, you know, we'll talk to them and say, hey, you know, you must have sustainability initiatives. And they're like, oh yeah, we got sustainability initiatives. We don't really know what we're doing. We're like, hey, here's what you can do, right? I mean, we have this home compostable wrapper. It's a real thing. It exists and, you know, nobody else is doing it. And for a lot of folks, that's just the foot in the door. Now, they're expensive. So that's another problem. Um, but it's a premium bar um, with premium characteristics. So that's, it, there's a lot of price pressure in the channel, especially because everybody's on the rent chain. The distributors want to cut and the retailers want to cut. And then they've got all of the pricing stuff and the promo calendars and the slotting fees and all of that. Uh, but we think that there is a space in this marketplace for people who want to have a better product. We want people to be the heroes of their own journey and give them options to select a good organic product for themselves and their families that's good for the world as well, for the environment. That's the proposition. And we want to have the product out everywhere so people can do that. And then, you know, we got to do a lot of marketing. I love that. And I love the idea of you want to make them the hero, right? And we've I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but that the brand is there to act as the supporting actor to the customer's starring role, right? And when I think about the customer story with something like Live Bar, like what is that inciting incident for them that says, I'm we're gonna have healthy snacks in this house? And it's like getting to that mindset of maybe it's the mom looks down, her kid two kids are eating Snickers bars. Or something. And it's like, what, you know, have I think that companies can benefit from thinking about what is the customer's inciting incident that would even lead them to, you know, your space first, right? And mapping that and playing with that and saying, okay, maybe it's a health scare or maybe it's a person reads an article and goes, holy crap, like you're telling me rappers are the the fourth leading, like, Thing that ends up in landfills. Okay, I need to make a, a buying change, right? But I just wanted to touch on that because I absolutely love that idea of 
tapping into your customer and understanding they're the hero. Yeah. Because yep. a lot of brands go the other way and think they're the hero. And it's a miss that I just see happening so frequently. Yeah. So I think the biggest misnomer, and really the big industrial food giants are doing this, those health bars are not health bars. They're just candy bars. I mean, so the largest acquisition to date that I know of is Kind Snacks, which just got bought by M&M, or by, sorry, Mars Corporation, right? Which makes Snicker bars and all of the rest of the stuff. So it's a candy bar. Like the characteristics of it are a candy bar. They're, they're slathered in chocolate and, you know, a whole bunch of other junk. But they almost all are. And they've hired lots of advertising and marketing people to tell you that this product is healthy and it's really not. So we have that fight a little bit, which is like, look, you're kind of being duped. You've been duped about lots of things. You've been duped about cigarettes. You've been duped about sugar. You've been duped about, you know, all these things were supposed to be great for you or fine for you. Um, and now you're finding out that they're really not. And we're saying, yeah, that's happening all over and a lot in our industry. There's so many bad bars health-wise. Um, we have a low glycemic index. You know, it, like I said, it's real food. So if you would, when we were building a registered dietitians network right now, because when you give this to dietitians, they look at it and say, okay, yeah, this is what we've been looking for. That's how ours, that's how it got created was that our founder was a nutritionist. She couldn't find any good bars going down the bar aisle that she would recommend to her customers. And so she created these bars. She didn't want to start a bar company. That's not what she does. I love that. I love like focusing on making the best product, right? And to your point about how a lot of these are candy bars, I worked at GNC for a couple of years when I was first uh, in college. And I remember thinking the exact same thing. We were selling bars at the General Nutrition Corporation store. And these bars, sure, they had 20 grams of protein, but they also had 45 grams of sugar. You know, it was, these things were candy bars. And yeah. it was like anyone who, they were not healthy. I just remember thinking that every day. I was like, I can't believe these are the first thing people see when they walk into the health quote unquote store, right? Was that, they were being duped. So that's something I think for, you know, listeners and consumers also to really think about when they're going and purchase like, okay, let's look at these ingredients. Let's think, is this healthy or is this being marketed to me? And then also for a listener, I also think that if you're listening to this and you're starting your own consumer package good or you're starting a tech company, get out front, be transparent and actually say what you do because over the long haul, I think the wool will get pulled off and people will start to see, okay, what companies are actually about. I think in the early 2000s, we were all convinced Subway was healthy. And now if you ask somebody if Subway's healthy, we're all like, their bread's not even red classified as bread in countries. Like we've that, that, that show, show and dance is over, right? And how do you make it through so that you're actually a brand that stays around for a long time? And I think it's through setting up a transparent foundation, having a product that actually is healthy, if you're going to say that. Or if you're going to do a candy bar, come out and be like, yo, we make a candy bar that also has protein. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's okay too. Yeah. Well, and most of them too, as I mentioned before, 95% of them don't make their own bars. So they're all made in the same factories. And the factories make you know 150 different bars out of the same factory. And so you just end up with this kind of generically tasting. If you've ever been to any of the food shows and you go around and taste the bars, they kind of just have this generic crappy flavor. There are a couple distinct ones, but in general, you know, and we've talked to those guys and it's like, yeah, we can't get the flavor and we bake our bars too. So they're one of the very few baked bars, one of only a handful. The baking them get, brings out the flavor. That's why we cook food, but that's expensive. And so most of those guys are just, you know, they're just, it's like Play-Doh. They're pumping them out through an extruder and which we don't use an extruder. You know, they're forming them and, you know, it's basically a date paste bar. Yeah, they're, they're pretty gross. Yeah, and that, that's, you know, right there is that product quality is, is going to help the brand shine through. Now, Wade, before I let you go, let people know where can they find out more about Live Bar, both online and where can they go out if they're out, you know, 
out shopping? Where can they actually find the product? Sure. So, you know, we're focused on trying to increase our velocity at grocery stores. The biggest partner we have is Sprouts right now. Um, we're in all the Sprouts locations. That's 350 doors over 24 states. Uh, in the Pacific Northwest, we're in uh, tons of places, but Whole Foods here, we're trying to grow that as fast as we can. We're down in your location. We're down in all the Erewhon's. And then, you know, we're in fresh time. We're in 2,000 doors across the United States. So so that's the, on the retail side. You can buy the bars direct from us on our website, livebar.com. And then we also have a strong presence on Amazon. So you can buy bars from Amazon if, you have, if you're Prime and you want the free shipping and all of that. Amazing. And I will put links to Live Bar in the show notes page so you all can go click there and pick yourself up some. Wait, thanks again for coming on the show. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.